loving Father in heaven, we come to you again this morning. Lord, the sun is shining outside and we feel it reflecting in our hearts as well. We thank you. Thank you for your love to us. Thank you for loving us enough that you would bless these brethren with a desire to have a Bible school like this for us. We pray, dear God, that you would be with Brother Rob this morning as he brings your word to us. May you bless him, give him strength, bring verses to his mind, thoughts, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides him. We just ask that you would help us to receive your word in our hearts this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your love to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. I'd like to do just a little review. <clears throat> That's one thing I remember from school, that we did a little, a little review now and then. <clears throat> we also had quizzes. I'll do that tomorrow. <clears throat> the first day we talked about Jesus, the name of Jesus being wonderful. And what does that really mean? Miracle. Jesus is a miracle. His name is miracle. Uh, the next day we learned that <clears throat> his name was Counselor. And as we talked about Jesus and his name being Counselor, uh, we had the sisters read several passages of Scripture that had a continuity flowing through it. And what makes Jesus, there's two things I want to hear, that makes Jesus such a an apt and qualified counselor. What's one of those? Compassion. compassion. Jesus is a compassionate counselor. What's the other thing, what's another thing that makes Jesus such a fit counselor? He has experienced it all. We have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. If you're there this morning, he's been there. And he's able to reach you where you're at. Mighty God. We learn what almighty means. What does almighty mean? Absolute and universal sovereignty. Sovereignty. Absolute and universal sovereignty. And we also have learned that He is dwelling within us. Praise His name. This morning, we're going to talk about another wow. The wonder of we're thinking about Everlasting Father. And uh, there's a few fathers in this room. And there are a few young men who may be fathers someday in this room. And every one of us have a father. The wonder of worth. Can we all say it together? Wow! The wonder of worth. We have worth because we have a Heavenly Father who loves us, values us, cherishes us, has redeemed us, and has a desire for our success and our salvation. Well, I really hate to erase this so quick, but I'm going to. You just keep that in your heart. Maybe I can leave worth down there so you can keep seeing that. We're going to take this uh, Bible School 2014 to a math lesson this morning. We're going to talk about linear geometry for a minute. And this is going to be a review that goes a little deeper than this week, probably. But I think you can do it. I believe you can. <coughs> what is that? Ah, that's the first one. It's a point. A point. What happens if I draw another point and I put a, a line between those two points? What do we call that? Line segment. A line segment. What happens if we take this line segment on one end and extend it and put an arrow on it? Red. A red. What does the arrow mean? Never ending, it keeps going. Forever. Infinite. Amen. Infinite. By the way, that brings back 
The other day I asked you um, what the, to give me a definition of less than nothing. And I had some responses that I was blessed with. First one is Brother Russell come up to me, beaming like he always does, and says, I'll tell you what it is. It's what God started with when He created. He started with less than nothing. And then, uh, it wasn't long, I was getting ready to leave and uh, going out of the, the dining area, and Brother Ryan come up and he said, well, it's just negative. Yeah, negative is less than nothing. If we assumed that this point right here was zero, what would happen if we went this way? Negative, right? And it's less than zero, less than nothing. So now I have another question for you. Uh, I'd like for you to define to me what's more than everything. Infinity. But uh, more than everything, define it. Positive. God. Everlasting Father. Let's say it together. Everlasting Father is more than everything. Okay, what if I took this and came over here and put an arrow on the other end? Now what would happen? Say it out loud. A line. I have a line. I want to do this this morning, and I'm building this this little foundation. I'm, I'm, I'm not just wasting time. I'm really building this foundation because I want to make a real point out of this. And we're going to have a little illustration of it here in just a little bit. Um, can somebody tell me, because I really don't know, what is what direction is that? North? Pretty much north. So that would be south then. I want to make an illustration this morning about eternity. The word everlasting Father, everlasting Father, eternal Father. I want us to get a picture this morning as we try to relate to an eternal Heavenly Father, an eternal Father. I want us to get a real grasp on eternity. What does eternal and everlasting really mean? And to do that, I've got some props, and I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need four volunteers. I think I'm going to take two from the men and two from the ladies. I need two men right up here and two ladies right here. First one here, get it. Okay. You are brave souls. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. These folks are going to represent to you points on a line. And I'd like you to step right over here if you would see. I came in here the other night while you were singing and and I hope I wasn't too much distract distraction. I'm sorry, Anthony, but I'm over here pacing off to see how far is it from me there. And it's about 30 feet from this wall to that post. And I want you to be to represent a point on the line where God spoke the world into existence. Can you hold that for me? By the way, can you spin basketball? No, I'm a finger? Yeah. No. <laughs> You'll never get in this one. It's got a big yeah. I was hoping you could because I was going to tell you to spin it and then I was going to give you some instruction about it. First of all, you can't stop. Second of all, don't spin it too fast and my people are going to fly off of it. Third of all, don't spin it too slow or they're going to freeze. Okay. There's a point on a line. The beginning of time. Now, Steve, if you don't mind holding something up. Sorry for my lack of artistic ability. It's really a, this is a real curse for me. I think it's one of my thorns in the flesh that the Lord gave me. I love illustrations, but I can't draw and I can't spell. <laughs> okay, this is a point on this line. I want you to imagine this line that's going from north to south. And I've written a date here, 1656. And if you want to talk more about that later, I'm not going to take the time now. But I have, uh, this is exactly when this happened. In the year 1656... Noah built an ark. Okay? About 2,000 years, but not quite. I want you to just keep that in mind. Nearly 2,000 years later, what happened? Brittany, did you hold 
later the cross. We're on a timeline here. Abigail, would you step back two feet and hold this? This is where we're at today. Bible School 2014 is right now. Now the thing I want to illustrate about this is, I want you to look at this and recognize that uh, we're about 30 feet here from creation to today. We're scaling this out. I want you to get this. Now we're talking about eternity. How long is eternity? Um, I'll also tell you that God has limited our days to 70, or if by reason of strength, 80 years. And on this scale of 6,000 years, in 30 feet, your life at 80 years is this long. As long as my pen. About a little less than 5 inches long. So now I want you, I did this for some students several years ago at school, and and it really impressed me. I don't know if you're impressed yet or not, but it really impressed me how short time really is. I want you to think about it. Now, this is our lifetime. Put it anywhere on this line. The line. Now, um, remember how old Methuselah was? Somebody tell me. 969. 900, almost a thousand years old. That would have been like, my life is here, but it would have been like in here somewhere. And that man lived almost a thousand years of this, six thousand years of the earth. Do you get the picture of how young the earth is? I mean, when you hear the term young earth, that's reality. How many of you have, have heard or maybe used the term old as the hills? Okay. Well, that's false doctrine. Yeah, the, the earth is, is really, really young. Uh, I, I kind of forgot I was going to start with this. I hope your arms don't get tired there. Um, I was going to start with this just as a little uh, catch-up from yesterday, part of our review. Can all of you see this little monument I'm holding? Um, Sister Karen had her husband bring this up last night when he came. And I have a confession, Karen. I bumped this over in my room, and you have a little less volcanic ash than you used to have. I'm sorry. Just a tad. And I brushed it off the desk and got it all over my hands. I almost wiped it on my pants. I'm glad I didn't. That stuff is terrible. It's really, really fine. This is 1980. From May 18, 1980, this is volcanic ash from Yakima, Washington. I just, uh, we were in the lunch line the other day, or no, down here at the foot of the steps, and Karen said, hey, I was in Yakima when that happened. I was home from college, I was in Yakima, and when God touched that mountain, without any knowledge to them, because it took a little for everybody to realize what this happened instantly, and it took a little while for even the media to figure out what happened, and begin to report on it and broadcast it. And before that happened, that 14-mile high cloud was blocking the sun, and it began to get dark. And Karen said, I asked her this morning, how dark was it? She said, the street lights came on at noon in Yakima. And so I just wanted to pass that testimony along. Um, now, what was I going to say about that? Anyways, if you want to see this, talk to Karen about it. This is the real stuff. That was, that was the work and power of God. I guess I was talking about the youth of the earth. That's where we were at. Okay, now I want to take this deeper. We're here to talk about Jesus, the everlasting Father. Now, here in front of you is depicted 6,000 years and 30 feet. And so if we were to everlasting, there's, I'm going to come across some passages of Scripture that talk about from everlasting to everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting. That means that, that that line, the arrow on this line is pointing that way in infinity. Forever. Before the world was spoken into existence, forever. That means this 6,000 years here, if you go 30 feet, there's a tree. That would have been another 6,000. 
another 6,000 to the driveway, and I don't know how many thousand to the road, and then I don't know how many thousand to Canada. Uh, Dave, you're a long ways off, longer than you thought. A long ways off, go on clear past the North Pole and shoot off the Earth out into space. 13 billion light years if you want to go down to the planetarium at the uh, Creation Museum and beyond. Now, it's also going to go beyond today, clear out past Oregon, down past Southern California, down past Mexico, and all of South America, off the South Pole, forever. Everlasting Father. Thank you.
And I just want us to get this, this sobering reality that here we are in the present and we are responsible for every moment. Every moment. Because what we're doing in the present is going to affect our eternity and the eternity of others. We have an everlasting Father. We talked a little about the Trinity the other day. And we showed you the picture, the circle, and the equality of the Trinity. And yet how they have one, they're one in purpose. And I, I really had a hard time uh, really getting a picture of everlasting Father as the name of Jesus. I struggled with that, I really did. Because when I think about the Trinity, I've, I've heard all my life, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so God the Father is this one part of the Trinity, and God the Spirit. And I think at supper last night, Janie was sharing with us the, the fact that it struck her that Jesus, that one passage of Scripture said, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost, Scripture said. And so we see how that not only that diagram was all wrong, because we separated them out to see their personality, but in reality they're all in, intertwined, intertangled. They're all just, they're just mixed together, inseparable. And so when I began to see that, I was able to relate to the reality that, yes, He is the Father. And, and let's talk about this now for a little bit. Jesus as an everlasting Father, the eternal Father. What does it take to be a Father? Um... Well, that's a big topic, but just getting right down to the brass tacks, a man becomes a father when a child is conceived. Notice I said conceived. It doesn't matter what men do in the next nine months. The man who conceives a child is a father. Um... I want us to take that seriously, and I'm breaking out here with some thoughts that probably aren't totally related, but they're related to today. One thing I've learned as an employer, we employ young men, and many times it's their first job. And I'm just going to give you the scope of my experience in the little town of Covington, 3,000 people. Most of the young men that we hire by the age of 20, most of them don't have a relationship with their father. Most of them. Some of them, their father's in jail. Some of them, they never knew their father. Some of them, they, they have stepfathers, plural, and also, by the age of 20, most of them are already a father. That's the reality we're going to face on the campus today. I'm telling you, when you come across these people, the reason it's so important for us to understand this relationship we have with an everlasting father is because one of the ways you can relate to them today on the campus is many of them don't know their own dad. And many of them are fathers of children that they may have never seen. And maybe the life of their child was exterminated. Deep, deep pain. Today we're going to go to the campus, uh, most of us as students, in the School of Grace. Most of us are going to learn by the power of the Spirit and this everlasting Father, this counselor we've heard about, is going to be teaching us how to relate to the pain of others. You know, that's really our job today. We're not going over there to stamp fish on these people's forehead. We're going over to touch their pain with the hope and the truth of an everlasting Father who loves them and cares for them. The Father that picks them up and holds them like I saw Brother Anthony walk across the breakfast room this morning. How old? Four weeks? Yeah, that's right. We've been here a week. Time. Passing quickly. 
I saw that little tiny infant resting, sleeping in Father's arms, and I thought, no concept of a blessing. Just resting in the arms of a loving Father. I'm also aware that it's not just the people on the university. Thanks, Russ. He just reached over and rubbed son-in-law's shoulder. There's a grandfather here, too. Praise God. I know that it's not just on Central West, Central West, uh, what is it, Central Washington University. We have a Western University. Central Washington, Washington University that was came about fathers. You know, we have heard uh, this term peer pressure, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal. The pressure of acceptance is huge. And the absence of acceptance is called what? Shout it out. You know it. Rejection. Say it out louder. Rejection. Right. It was on all of your lips, but you really don't want to say it, do you? The pain of rejection is a terrible pain. A terrible pain in the hearts of young people. And it's not just on Central Washington University or in the little town of Covington. The most common thing that I hear from our young folks is not about rejection from peers. It's not. It's about the pain of lack of relationship with a father. Now I say that not from what I've heard this weekend, from what I've heard for years from the hearts of young people in our own circle. I want you to know this morning you're not alone. I also want you to know something else. There is hope. There is hope because we have an everlasting Father who wants to come in and meet the need and transform hearts and lives. Well, let's get back on track here. What does the word progenitor mean? Progenitor. That's where, that's where we're going to relate to Jesus Christ this morning as the everlasting Father. He is the progenitor. He is the Father. He is the one who begins a line. A line of children. Remember that we learned the other day that Jesus Christ spoke the world into existence. Jesus Christ is the one who initiated and he spoke. He was the verbalization of God. And he verbalized, and out of his mouth came words that spoke life, and life went out and is still going out. What? Uh, tell me, young people, when God created Adam and Eve, when God spoke Adam to a, a well, God took dirt, he piled together some dirt, and formed Adam, what did he create him in? His own image. And what did he then say about their the image? Whose image? Our image. Our image. And so this is how I begin to, to put this thing together about Jesus becoming a father, the everlasting father, is when I saw that Jesus, part of this intermingled trinity, was there creating. He was the father of Adam. And he began a line of progenity. Let's look uh, at Hebrews 3, verse 6. It says, But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Christ as a son over his own house. This is what I wanted to pull out. This, this passage of Scripture is speaking about Jesus as the everlasting Father. He's over his own house. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. We're going to look at just a few verses here. 
He says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. We're seeing again this equality that Jesus has with the Father and with the Spirit. There's an equality there, and there's a oneness there that made Jesus also a part of becoming the Father, or fathering, or speaking into existence. Uh, Again, write some of these down so we don't have to turn to all of them, but Romans 8.15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. I want to stop there. The spirit of adoption... The spirit of adoption, chosen, chosen to be a part of the kingdom and the house of Jesus. He he came with the spirit of adoption to redeem and to buy and to purchase to make a son. Whereby we cry what? Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Now, I, I did a little research, and I wish I had jotted some things down. I didn't. I just kind of breezed over this, and I kind of forget now where it's, uh, in Aramaic they use this term, Abba Father, yeah, but it's actually a borrowed term. It's a term that, that came from, I think, Chaldean. Does anybody know? I'd rather know. I'm sorry. Do the research yourself and then check me on this. But it comes, it's a borrowed term that began to be used as they related to God in prayer and it became so universally used in prayer. You know how these terminologies that we hear that we get passed down for generation to generation in prayer? Uh, that, happened, that would happen to the Jews too. And they just, Abba Father, Abba Father. They cry out, Abba, Abba. And that becomes so common that it became then introduced into Greek. It was not actually a Greek word, but because of it expressed an endearing term where people just cried out to Father, crying out to Father, Abba Father, just crying out for Him to, to hear and to listen. It's like saying, Daddy, Daddy, my dear Daddy, Everlasting Father. This is Jesus, Everlasting Father. Galatians 4.6 says, Because ye are sons... God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. I want to think about that now. I want you to think really, uh, really deeply about that now. That this Spirit of this everlasting Father has been sent forth to be in your heart. You know, Troy was talking about limping leaders. Limping leaders. And... I want we're talking about fathers. Um, I think I'm just going to say you you've got fumbling fathers. Sorry, but that's just the way it is. And you have mumbling mothers. Sorry, that's just the way it is. We are weak in the flesh. We are very weak in the flesh. And the reason that I want to bring this out, and we'll get there in a little bit, you also have. Um, bumbling brothers, sorry, sisters. And you have stumbling sisters, sorry, brothers. You know, we are just all weak. I think it's really helpful for me when I recognize my own weakness, then I can start to relate to the weakness of those around me. I, I think that's really, really important when we start dealing with our rejection pain is to recognize, uh, back up a little and take a good self-examination at our own failings. We, we all have them. We're just weak in the flesh and we're just bumbling, stumbling people. And I want to share, uh, I hope, Janet, you'll give me your blessing. This morning in the early hours, um, Janet and I were talking and I was apologizing for um, being such a hobbling husband. And um, I have a wobbling wife, too. And as we just begin to share back and forth, share our hearts a little bit, I, and I was apologizing specifically for not having protected her in the line of spiritual abuse. I've just... I have not done my job as a husband. I hobbled in this. 
And I was apologizing to her. And you know what she said? It blessed me so much. She, she forgave me immediately. But she also said this. You know what I've found in the absence of your protection? Jesus is my protector. So if you're struggling with a relationship with your father or your mother, with a bumbling brother, stumbling sister, a limping leader, I just want you to realize you have a heavenly father that is perfect. And I want you to realize that for two reasons. Number one, please, don't hold your father or your mother or your leader to the standard of God. Don't hold them to that standard. They can't reach it, not in the flesh. They're trying. They're being redeemed. They're being restored. They're being prepared. They're not there yet. Pray for them. Come alongside and assist them in that and recognize that in their lack, God is and will meet your needs. God is able to do that because He is the everlasting Father. We're going to get the Prince of Peace tomorrow. Colossians 2.10 There's two things that I want you to really write down, write it in your notes, write it on your heart, take it home with you, memorize it, write a song about it. We need more 2014 songs. Lift up your voice and begin to just let the Lord speak a song into your heart and sing it out. Scripture, by the way, is one of the most inspiring songs we sing. I love singing Scripture. So take this and write a song and send it to me and I'll sing it with you. Colossians 2 verse 10 says, And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. Whatever the lack is in your life, whatever the pain is in your life, you have an everlasting Father who wants to make you complete in Him. That's a reality you can experience. And I know that by experience. Sometimes, though, I'm just going to tell you you have to reckon that to be true. You just have to just write it down and say, that's true. I want you to say this. Ye are, I am complete in Him. Let's say that. I am complete in Him. Tell it to the devil one more time. I am complete in Him who is Jesus Christ, the everlasting Father who cares for you with a deep passion. There's another scripture I want you to write down. Ephesians 1, verse 5 and 6. Again, as you um, try to find healing in your rejection pain, I want you to read this over and over and over again. Ephesians 1, verse five, verses 5 and 6. Having predestinated us, that was God, this everlasting Father, predestinated us unto the adoption of children, how? By Jesus Christ Himself. By Jesus, the everlasting Father, we have been predestinated. There is a destiny that God has stamped on your life. And He wants you to just reach out and take a hold of it and believe the truth of it so that you can accept it and receive it according to the good pleasure of His will. It's His will. It's His will for you. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Remember we talked about the opposite of exception. You said was rejection. Now I want you to say out loud, all of us together, what is the opposite of rejection? Acceptance. This passage of Scripture says it's the will of God for you to feel that you are and realize the truth that you are accepted in the Beloved. You are accepted. We understand this is by faith. We understand this is by faith in Him. I'll take that hymn too when you get it done. I'd like to sing it with you. 
as we think about Jesus being the everlasting Father, I thought about how uh, He is a progenitor. He has started a house of His own. He has said, as a son over His own house. So, so Jesus then is just like, um, what would you, Russ, would you stand up? Thank you. Russ is going to stand now not in the place of God, a representative of God, and we're all that, so this is okay for him to do. He is going to stand as a representative of God himself, and um, because his sons aren't here, he has a son-in-law. Anthony, would you stand up? Anthony, as a son of Russ, is over his own house. Anthony is over his own house. And this is the way Jesus is a father to us. Jesus, as a son, is over his own house. And the reason this is important is because as a son, he is following after the pattern of his father. The father has given him a pattern and an example that's perfect and pure and right and holy and good. And the son, as a son, now is a father over his own house. Thank you, brother. You can sit. That's God, the everlasting Father. Now, I don't want to get too deep into this, but it's very, very likely that most of us as sons, even though we despise a thing about our Father, you know what? This, this is not something... I'm going to tell you something about my dad. Here's how he stands. He stands like this. He puts his right hand in his back pocket. Is there anything wrong with that? No. But you know what I do every time I find myself doing that? I'm just that. <laughs> we just have a nature to do as we have been taught. And the very thing I find oftentimes as I deal with other young people is the thing that's paining them so much. I've lived long enough to see some of the young folks that, that were young folks when I was a young father become fathers. And the thing that pained them so much about the Father that they have on the earth is the very thing they do. I want to bless you today to tell you that when you deal with that pain and let the everlasting Father come in and deal with your rejection and your hurt and your pain, you can break the cycle. I'm not talking about where you put your hand in your pocket. I'm talking about those things that brought pain into your life you can break that cycle by the power and the presence of a holy God. There is hope for you. There is hope. In fact, that's what God's calling you to. Well, as I thought about him being a father, I thought of the word author. Jesus, the everlasting father, is an author. An author is one who initiates. He initiates and, and brings into being. And so I thought about that, and I thought immediately about a couple of scriptures. Hebrews 5, 9, jot it down, says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. He is the author of eternal salvation. And so, uh, as a heavenly father, he saves his children. Write this one down and circle it. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the alpha and the omega of our faith, the author of our faith. He's the one that, that spoke it into our heart and to our life. He's the author and the finisher. He's the one that's going to carry us through. He's going to take our faith and add to it. He's going to help us to add to it, add to it, add to it, and, and then finish it. You know what? I think about finish... Um, I am always amazed because I hate painting. If you, if you would see me paint, you would understand it really, really clear. First of all, I can never get the paintbrush out of the bucket without spilling it down the side. It's frustrating. I watched um, Chris Benedict several years ago. We had a project at the church. And that man stood on a ladder with a paintbrush in his hand and painted around a light fixture while he looked down at me and talked and looked up and looked down at me and talked and never touched that light fixture with that paintbrush. <laughs> and I stood in awe. I don't even know what he was saying. I was, what? How can he do that? 
When I think about a finisher, I think about fine furniture. And somebody cut that tree down with a chainsaw, and it looked terrible. It went through a sawmill, and it was rough, terrible rough, and it went through a planer, and it came into the hands of a craftsman, and, and I noticed this up at Holmes County where the Amish make furniture. I began to learn more about it. We bought some things there. And I find out here, lo and behold, that there's not a furniture store that takes in the wood and brings out the raw product. They are so uh, integrated up there, and they're networked better than we think about Amish people being networked. They are so integrated that what they do is somebody prepares the lumber, Somebody builds this thing. They send it to somebody else who, and parts even, a table. You think you bought a table from an Amish furniture store? Guess what? There's probably ten different Amish men touched that thing. The, the base isn't even from the same place the top came from and the boards and all that. And finally it comes to the finisher. All this has been done and this man, he's, he, he's skilled to smooth the finish onto this hand rub the finish onto it, and when it's all done, it's beautiful. Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith. He wants to hand rub your faith. He wants to touch your life in a very personal and special way because He's your Father. He's your Father. He's the author. The author is the one that brings it into existence. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of, our, finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross for you and for me, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what that tells me? He's set down. He's done. He's finished. We're still here in 2014, plugging along, we're here in 2014. Our future, excuse me, yes, the future is just slipping through the present to become the past, day by day, moment by moment, second by second, nanosecond by nanosecond. <coughs> it's slipping right on through. Jesus is already set down. It's done. He's the everlasting Father. And he has finished that work. Well, I want to back up to the, the phrase despising the shame. And because it caught my attention again when I, <clears throat> when I read it this morning, I always thought that, you know, when I think about, I, I have to think about this in my own context. So when I read across that, I think about Jesus. He despised the shame. He despised the shame. If that was me, that means that I would have a distaste for the shame. But I want to tell you something. Jesus didn't distaste the shame that he was going to face on the cross. When he says he despised the shame, he thought little of it. Despised there means he thought little of it. He, he saw the shame of hanging naked between heaven and earth, nailed to a cross, and he thought little of that. He was willing to go right through that and think nothing of it to redeem us. Because he knew the pain we would experience and he wants to come into our heart and he wants to hold us like a little tiny baby and comfort us. So he endured the cross and he didn't think anything about the shame that he was going to have to face. And he is set down at the right hand of God. Well, uh, we've been here and, and Troy has been given the responsibility to talk on authority. He's been talking on authority. We give the word a lot of authority. And, and I uh, just shared with him the other day that one of the things that's helped me, because you know, we are given places of authority, and so I want to give us a, a real quick thing about this, that Jesus is the author and Jesus has authority. I want to give us a real quick picture of that as fathers and, and bosses and church leaders and wherever we're at. We, we have been given authority. We use that word authority. We've been given that. We have a responsibility. That's what I want to call it. Wherever you have some authority, God-given authority in your life, I want you to replace that word in your own heart and your own mind for yourself to be responsibility. Because you have no right to author 
anything into the life of another person. You are under authority. Jesus has been given all authority, and authority belongs to Him and Him alone. I want You know how um, we talk about the fact that God is here, and where's Jesus? Where at? Under God, under authority, the Bible says. And where's man? Where at? Under Jesus. And where's woman? And we understand the children down here too. And so what uh, God has done, God has, uh, the Bible says clearly in 1 Corinthians 11, that this is God's headship order. And I want to go over this really quick here to understand that God has delegated authority to Jesus. Remember, he, he was the, the one that spoke, it had the plan, but Jesus then became the verbalization of God. He delegated that to Jesus. And then he's given us men some responsibility under Jesus in this chain of authority so here's what I want to tell you. In godly authority, and that is, is a, a true term like Troy's been aptly teaching us, we need to look to the one that God has given us as godly authority and respect that authority. But if we happen to fall in here carrying that in our hands, please call it responsibility. Because God has the plan. He gave it to Jesus. Jesus spoke it. Jesus spoke into our hearts and our lives in order to communicate and wash our wives by the word, brethren. Wash our wives by the word. And this whole thing is a responsibility to be carrying out the authority that Jesus speaks. He is the author. And so when we have challenges that come up in our life, when we have to carry this thing out, it's our responsibility to go to Jesus for the word. Lord Jesus, I don't know what to do here. I've got this in my life right now. I don't know what to do to aptly uh, minister and protect my wife and my children and to uh, come to them. I don't know how to, um, to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition. I don't know how to do that out of myself. So we go to Jesus. I want to encourage you to do that. You have an everlasting Father who is authority and you have responsibility with that. Let Him speak. Does that make sense? Let Him speak. An everlasting Father who has authority in our lives. I have a whole pack bunch of scriptures here we're going to pass over. I'm going to come down to Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, remember that old beat up basketball over here that represented the earth? Before that happened, somewhere out there, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Again, I want to reestablish the eternal God, the everlasting Father. Um, Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting. Now write this down, brethren. You're going to be ministers to someone. You're going to have this responsibility to carry out somewhere. Uh, for the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. I want to tell you it is of utmost importance in this thing right here, this line of authority, that Jesus has authority, and He's spoken authoritative words. It's truth, and truth must be held. It must be in your responsibility. We must uphold truth. Truth is absolute. But what does it say? His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth to all generations. The Bible says uh, several times the words mercy and truth. Look this up and verify it for me. Mercy and truth. And I want you to see the sequence. It's extremely important. Mercy and truth. The mercy comes first and then the truth. With one exception, grace and truth. Throughout the Bible, there is one exception. Grace and truth. Bring up your children in the nurture and the admonition. Speak the truth in love. 
I just want to reinforce this because if you want to make a change of course in your life, follow godly authority like you've been hearing. That's how Jesus did it. That's how he did it. That's how God did it. You know what God did? He sent Jesus to die on a cross when we were still in sin. You know what God was willing to do? He was willing to set aside His requirement for righteousness to have a relationship. I want you to think about this because this is extremely important. And it might even strike your spirit wrong at first, but I want you to think about the truth of it because this is the example of our everlasting Father. He was willing to set aside His requirement for righteousness to have relationships. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now here's why He did that. He set aside His requirement for righteousness to have relationship to restore us to righteousness. That is an extremely important concept as we relate to our Heavenly Father and as we try to find healing in our lives so that we can go forward and not repeat the sins of our fathers. You know, I want you to respect your godly fathers. I'm on both sides of this thing. And I have a father, and he's not perfect. But I have learned to love that man and look over all of his failings because I feel his love for me. You know what he said? And, and I can count on this. I can count on this. Before we went to Haiti in December, I got a call from my dad and he said, I'm praying for you. Before I left and got on the plane to come out here, I got a call from my dad and he said, I'm praying for you. I know the love of my father. He's not perfect. Love thinks he needs to change. Some things I've changed because I've seen it in Him. You know what? I miss some things. I've said this many times. Janet, I was raised in a dysfunctional home. And Janet was raised in a dysfunctional home. And we got married and we started a dysfunctional home. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is on planet Earth. But I want to tell you something else. God is able to redeem that dysfunction. He is able to come back and buy back the time. I want to give you a personal experience that we had with one of our sons. We lost his heart. Uh, just like many of you may be feeling. We lost his heart. He wouldn't open up. He wouldn't communicate. He shut down. He locked us. And Janet and I committed to fast and pray every Wednesday for that son. By name, we purposefully fasted every Wednesday for almost a year. And God restored that relationship. Because in my, as a fumbling father and a mumbling mother, we had, we had damaged his heart. But he had an everlasting father who cared for him. And as we cried out to Him, you know what happened? God didn't change Him. He changed me. God changed me. And that changed my relationship. I want to encourage you to do that. Cry out to Father for your father, your mother, your brother, your sister. And then learn to do that when you're a father or mother as well. Because you're, you're going to have children, you're going to make mistakes. We just have dysfunction in our lives. I think we're going to just close now the, the message with Psalm 106.48. 106.48 says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen, praise ye the Lord. And so, first of all, we're going to talk about the fact that this wonder of work. Let's all say that together. Wow! And then let's say this together. I'm going to say it again first to remind you, and then we're all going to say it together. 
I'm going to say the verse, and then we're all going to say together, Amen, praise ye the Lord. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen, praise ye the Lord. God bless you as you open your heart and your life to the arms of the everlasting Father. We have about three minutes for testimony. Anything that you want to share out of your heart or your experience or how one of these passages of Scripture or another or a song came to your heart, whatever's on your heart.
praise you for that. That we can rely on you for all the hurts of our hearts and just even when our earthly fathers fail us. Just praise you for your mightiness. Just help us to show how you've worked in our lives and to the ones we meet today. Just help us to um, just let your love more than anything flow through us and um, show that to others. Just um, want to thank you for bringing each one of the speakers here this week and just bless them and just bar um, the enemy from their minds of any doubt that they might have and just bless all the ones that are, have speeches yet to make, Lord. Just let, their, let your spirit flow through them. We just thank you and praise you for this time in Jesus' name. I don't know where you're at today or where your pain is at or what uh, things you've experienced, but I want you to know that you have a loving Heavenly Father who values you, who loves you, who has accepted you, and you are complete in Him. God bless you.